coming up on Crossing the Lane Lines. That's got to be your first concern because this is a sport where, yeah, it's a lot of fun, but you want to be able to do it over and over and over again. And, and when we, when, once I became a professional high diver, we were doing five, six shows a day. So, you know, you had to be on your, you had to be on your toes. You, had better, you better land on your feet and be vertical. And in the shallow water, you better learn how to scoop so you don't hit the bottom. So it was, there was some, some cool things involved, but you had to, you know, you had to be good to, to survive. Most people have done cannonballs, somersaults, and jumped off of springboards into a pool, lake, or bay. But not many, I'll wager, have ever attempted to jump off a 100-foot cliff, executing a perfect dive. Today, we'll speak to former professional high diver, Chip Humphrey, about his extraordinary career. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. You know, folks, I knew about Howard University's swimming and diving program. I knew about the somersaults, handstands, twists, and turns, all culminating in the diver's body slicing through the water like a knife in the end. Add to that, jumping from the springboard or the 10-meter platform, and I felt like these folks were crazy. But you know something? I never thought that black folk were crazy enough to try high cliff diving. But that's exactly what our guest today used to do as, a, as employment. Chip Humphrey is a former high diver and aquatic entertainer. He produced and performed in high diving shows in 22 countries all around the world, from Hong Kong to Dubai, from England to Australia. In 1980, he won the coveted Acapulco Cliff Diving Championships as seen on ABC's Wide World of Sports. Chip Humphrey, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Well, thank you, Najee. It's a, a pleasure being here, and uh, now I'm excited about talking about some of the things I've been able to do uh, through my experience with the swimming and diving and, you know, the aquatic world. Thank you, Chip, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, Chip, start us off. How did you first get involved with swimming, and then when did you begin to take an interest in diving? Well, um, my introduction to swimming was uh, through my father. Uh, his name was David Humphrey, David Stanley Humphrey Jr., actually. And he was a physical director at the several YMCAs up in New Jersey, where I'm from. I'm from East Orange, New Jersey. And uh, so he was a physical director at the YMCAs, and I grew up at the YMCA. And I learned how to swim uh, before, as early as I can remember. I don't actually remember how old I was because I just always knew how to swim. Matter of fact, one of the things that was interesting for me as I was growing up uh, at the YMCA, I used to hear a black folk say, you know, that black people can't swim. And I, and I said to myself, well, that can't be true because I'm black and I was already on the swim team. Uh, and that taught me an important lesson to be careful of what you listen to. And some people did listen to that and never tried to learn how to swim. Uh, that's a whole other story. But uh, I, I learned to learn how to swim at an early age and I was on the swim team at an early age. As a matter of fact, um, at eight and under, uh, I was on a 100-yard a, a, a freestyle relay that tied the national record. Um, we didn't beat, break the record, but we tied it. That was through the YMCA. And, um, but what happened was I was a freestyler, and then I was a breaststroker, and it was 25 yards, 50 yards. Then it became 100 yards. I was like, this is way too far to be racing. Okay, I just did not have the concept of going back and forth that far. That was long distance for me. 
And I would see when we went to swim meets that there were divers and, and you needed divers. And our YMCA had a diving board. This is the Orange Oakwood, excuse me, the Orange uh, Central Branch YMCA. And we had a one-meter springboard, which I was already playing on because <clears throat> my background was a little bit in the gymnastics arena on the trampoline in the gym. Um, I'm, I, we, all, we also had a leaders club at the YMCA, and that was a big part. I was in the leaders club. I was the only black kid in the leaders club, too. Uh, and that was a big part of my leadership development, and that was because my father was the physical director at the Y. So I, got, I, had, I was introduced to a lot of stuff at an early age. Um, but uh, so when the, when the races went from 50 yards to 100 yards, I said, you know what, we need a diver, and I'm going to be the diver. So I decided to switch from swimming to diving. And uh, I just focused on, uh, you know, competitive diving, and I had to teach myself how to dive because we didn't have a coach. So I would just see other people do something when we went to another meet and copy them as best I could. And, um, you know, I, by the, and I did that all the way through high school. And then because um, uh, our, our YMCA, we didn't have a, a high school swim team, which is a whole other story. You, you might want to write that down. That's a whole other podcast because they filled in the pool at, at, at our high school. Uh, because of uh, uh, racial situations, and that was before I even got there. That's a whole other story. But um, so through high school, I, I I was on the swim team at the YMCA, and I dived uh, competitively, uh, and I I taught myself pretty well because I didn't have a coach until I went to the University of Miami, my freshman year in college, and that's where I met um, Stu Greenberg, who was the coach there. Um, uh, I met, I dove with uh, Steve McFarland, three of the best divers in the country, actually, at the time, who I still have a relationship with. Um, and then uh, things just took off from there. So I can go on and on and on, but that's basically how I got started swimming and then in my transition into diving because I wasn't into long-distance swimming, which was 100 yards was long distance to me. <laughs> I'm no genius, but I'm sure you didn't go from doing cannonballs off the side of the pool deck or a lake. So when did you start thinking that you wanted to get into cliff diving? Well, as I uh, went through high school and then I went through college, uh, five years in a summer to get out of college, uh, I, I left the University of Miami a pretty good diver, um, a very good diver. As a matter of fact, the one thing I did get out of the university, other than my six credits for the first year, <laughs> was uh, a full-page color picture one of the only four in the yearbook that year, 73, 72, 73. Uh, I got a full-page color photo in the, in the yearbook. It's a, it's a back dive on the one meter with my big blown-out afro in the 70s. <clears throat> so uh, that's what I got out of the University of Miami. But it taught, they also taught me how to dive. And um, from there, I just uh, went back to uh, Glassboro State in South Jersey, uh, became an All-American on the one and three-meter springboard, which is another great story because uh, we didn't even have a three-meter springboard. So, uh, you know, that was just the desire, you know, going after something that you wanted and uh, making that happen. And then my senior year, uh, one of my friends that was a diver, he had a friend that was a high diver at Great Adventure, an amusement park in New Jersey. He says, come on, you got to go check this out. And I didn't even know anything about any of this. And I went, we went up there at the Great Adventure Amusement Park, and there was a high dive show there. The high dive was 92 feet. It was into a dolphin pool. And we went up there and watched this 30-minute show. It blew me away. I was nervous because I knew I was thinking about learning how to do this. And uh, that was it. I, I was hooked. I was like, I figured out how to get auditioned. I got hired. And then uh, I started doing it myself. So, uh, you know, but, 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 but what happened was, so that was my introduction to the professional high diving. I already had 
developed the desire to jump off a high thing. My first high dive was I was a camp counselor up in the uh, YMCA camps, which the camp up in Orange, Orange, uh, Orange Central YMCA had a camp up in North Jersey on a lake. So, uh, you know, I was introduced to all the sports up there, sailing, boating, I mean, rowing, canoeing, uh, kayaking. I learned how to sail up there. And then all the ball sports, riflery, archery, uh, all the ball sports. And then, you know, biking, hiking, cycling, overnight trips, splunknicking where we went caving in the caves, did all kinds of cool things. Um, but I was up there, I became a counselor up there, and one night we went out, These some friends of mine, they knew about this uh, bridge that they were jumping off of as a reservoir. I said, where? They said, take me. <clears throat> so we went there, and it was at nighttime. My first high dive was at night. It was actually a jump. It was about, I guess, about 50 to 60 feet high. And when we got there, it was about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. It was so dark, we had to sign, they had to bring big, powerful flashlights and shine down to the water. And I was like, okay. But I said, well, I'm not first because I wasn't sure how deep it was, you know. <clears throat> And so one of the guys says, well, I know it's deep. I'll go. So he went first. Boom. He's like, he did it. I was like, okay. Boom. I was right off of that thing. Ooh, it was one of the fun. It was. I got a big rush out of that. So uh, we only did one because it was, it was, what we were doing was, wasn't legal. So we had to jump off and get back out and climb up and get in the car and get out of there. But I got such a rush, I couldn't get enough of that. And, and that was the beginning of it. A lot of my friends look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them that I swim year-round in open water without a wetsuit in temperatures that range from 48 to 55 degrees. But I have to ask, and I need you to be upfront with me, who in their right mind is going to jump off a perfectly good cliff that's 100 feet above the water? Well, you know, the, the whole reason why I got into this, luckily for me, you know, I figured out how to make money while doing this, but it was all, I got started because it was exciting. It was fun. And it was, it was thrilling. So um, I was doing this. I'm a, I'm a pleasure. I'm a thrill seeker. You know, I'm all about doing things that uh, make me feel good, quite frankly. And once I got the, 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 the feeling of a high diving and jumping off of something and doing this safely. Now, you know, you can do this and get hurt. And it's actually funny. You ask most people <clears throat> about their dive, and they're going to tell you the last one they did. <laughs> and it usually wasn't very good. I love talking about this to people because that's the first thing that comes to their mind is their last dive. And <laughs> like I said, it usually wasn't a good one. But, um, yeah, when you know, it was just exciting. It got exciting. And then, um, you know, I had some opportunities uh, when I was in Miami to jump off a bridge. I, I know it was a dam down in Miami somewhere. We, somebody had found that. So, you know, the thing about high diving, you don't have very many opportunities to do it. So you, you got to make the best of it. And sometimes it's not very safe. I know down in the hotels in Fort Lauderdale, that's where it first started because they had some springboards down there. Um, and then they would set up some scaffolding and things. And that's where really the whole thing kind of started. Although Bruce would probably argue with that because I know he knows the history a lot better than I do. That's the history that I know. I'll put it like that. Um, but, um, yeah, most of us just do it because of the fun. And then, you know, you just look for bigger and better places and that are relatively safe because, you know, uh, our, everything I did was all natural. So it wasn't like, you know, we made platforms or anything like that. You had to find places where the water was going to be deep enough and you could get to the deep water. Um, and, 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 and that was always, you know, that's got to be your first concern because this is a sport where, yeah, it's a lot of fun, but you want to be able to do it over and over and over again.
And, and when we, once I became a professional high diver, we were doing five, six shows a day. So, you know, you had to be on your, you had to be on your toes. You, had better, you better land on your feet and be vertical. And in the shallow water, you better learn how to scoop so you don't hit the bottom. So it was, there was some, some cool things involved, but you had to, you know, you had to be good to, to survive. Chip, what's involved in producing one of these high diving shows? It sounds like it's a very complicated thing. Could you talk about that a little bit, please? There's a lot. There's a lot involved because, you know, we're producing an event, a competition, or a show, and I was a performer. So I, I came from the ground up. I learned how to do all this stuff, and eventually we figured out how to, you know, put it together and package it. So, um, you know, I, I did everything from A to Z, from, you know, actually do every part of the show to recruit everybody, you know, from when I lived in Hong Kong or Taiwan and bring people from the United States to different places around the world, bring the equipment there, get the visas, get all that stuff set up. And this is after we got the agreement with the uh, park, obviously. And then, then but and then really set the stage for people to just have the time of their life. Um, and it really has morphed into what's going on now with the Red Bull cliff diving, you know, uh, uh, so to speak. There's a lot of other shows that are going on out there. They're not really doing shows. They're doing competition. But um, there's a, it takes a lot. And I'll just tell you, back in the, you know, when I was at the uh, um, cliff diving in Acapulco, um, and I'm actually getting ready to go back down there because I'm trying to set something else up again. So, you know, I've been there as a competitor in the beginning as a competitor. Uh, then came back as a pr- competitor and a producer um, and looking to do that again. But, yeah, I had a chance. Uh, the first year I was uh, in, uh, in, got involved in high diving, I was actually told I was going to go to the cliff diving competition. It was by invitation only. <clears throat> but <clears throat> at the last minute, and because I was black and the only black other than Rick White, and he was the first black high diver, um, and he was a good friend of mine and a good mentor to, to a lot of the guys. And it didn't matter what, what color you were. If you were, you know, down to earth, Rick would help you. Um, and it's a shame you couldn't interview him. And I've got, but I've got some of his stuff. I've interviewed him, and I got some of his stuff on video recording, which I would love to share with you um, on how he got started. So, um, you know, um, in the, at the in the cliffs in Acapulco, I, I did. I was uninvited the first year of my first year as a high dive because I'd gotten very good right uh, quickly. <clears throat> but again, I was new to the scene, and it was a privilege to be asked to go there. So the second year of my high dive, I was I, I did get to go. And I got I tied for second place, and and I got I got really uh, I was I was mad I was angry because I thought I won, and a friend and my friend that beat me by one point, you know we still argue about it today and we're still good friends, <clears throat> but uh, so then what happened was that lit a white hot burning desire for me to come back the next year and win so, um, and that is exactly what I did I came back the next year and won by doing the interrupted double. Um, that's a whole other story too. But if you've read, ever read the book Think and Grow Rich, it's 13 things that the uh, wealthiest people in the world have in common. 500 of the wealthiest people have in common, and the number one thing was a white hot burning desire. And I hadn't read that book then. I read the book years later, but now, but it definitely made sense because I had a white hot burning desire that was not going to, nothing was going to stop me from going back there and winning. And that's exactly what I did. So. Um, yeah, it was it was exciting, you know, and exciting because I can still go back and watch it on YouTube. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a, it was a lot of fun, and uh, again, it was all about the excitement, you know, and and getting other people to get out of their comfort zone and do things that you didn't think you could do. You know, that's what diving is. I tell you, I've gotten in more situations where I'm like, and a lot of times we were at nighttime at the bar, 
you know, you see somebody else, you know, I, I can do this. And I said, well, you can do that. I can do it too. And I'll do this, you know, next day you're out there trying to do it and making sure you can do it. And a lot of times, you know, it does stretch, it stretches you and you're able to do some things that, uh, you know, you wouldn't have normally done if you didn't, you know, get out of your comfort zone. So there's all kinds of lessons I've learned through uh, my experiences with high diving, but being at Acapulco was, was, was real exciting and a lot of fun. And, uh, um, the cool thing about that dive, when I went back to win it <clears throat> the second time, you know, the primary thing there is to make sure you take off from the top. First of all, from you, when you take off from the takeoff spot from the uh, closest to the hotel on the left, if you, it looks like you'll land on the other side of the cliff if you push as hard as you can. So the visuals will blow your mind. And once you get past that, you, serve, you better push as hard as you can because you'll be lucky to get to the middle of the gorge at the bottom. So, so that's the first thing you have to get used to. But when I took off and I was on the inside, because that's the best vantage point, um, I took off and I made sure I was pushing off hard enough and I had to do one quick somersault and I kicked out. And as I kicked out, I said to myself, you got it. Because I knew I had enough distance from the cliff to be in the deep enough water. And I knew I had enough rotation in that first somersault when I kicked out to complete the second somersault. And I didn't quite celebrate right then because I still had to finish, but I was like, I wasn't worried, put it like that. So that was pretty cool, too. And that's just to me. To me, that's the sign of a professional. When you can compete or you can comp- when you're performing, but you're having fun while you're doing it. That's, that's the true professional. So I can keep going, but I'm, I'm going to stop and take a quick sip of water. <laughs> You mentioned Acapulco, and that leads me into my next question. I'm wondering if you could take us back to 1979 and talk about a famous dive you did to clinch the Acapulco Championships. Set the stage and take us through to the very end. Well, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a lot of very cool, actually, because, uh, like I said, uh, the year before, I came in second place. So coming back down, with, and a lot, all these guys were my friends. We all worked together doing shows all around the world. Um, so uh, coming back, actually, we worked for another company. This is like the, the end of the years when I worked for the other company, my second year in Acapulco. After that, because I didn't like the way they treated us and a lot of other people, we formed our own company uh, in Hong Kong and started working for ourselves and, and hiring other drivers to work all around the world. But um, so uh, so I, after after I lost, I, my, I you know that, that year I went back and learned a different dive and see. Back then, there was no degree of difficulty at the cliff diving competition in Acapulco. So, you know, if you did a swan dive, which was difficult because it was a head-first entry, that was the same degree of difficulty as uh, fr- flying from somersault, which was easier, uh, and that was my favorite dive. Uh, same, it would have been the same as if you did a triple half, a forward three somersaults with a half twist, which would have been harder. If you went off backwards, didn't matter. There was no degree of difficulty. Um, actually, my company started when we started producing the shows. We incorporated degree of difficulty because that was that was a factor that was in, that was involved. So anyway, we had actually degree of danger and difficulty. So um, so there was no degree of difficulty. But I decided to do a dive that nobody had done there. Instead of just doing the flying front somersault, which was easy to get away from the cliff, it was easy to control, and all you had to do was you know pop the entry and be clean, and you know you'd get a good score. And I had, that was my favorite dive, but I wanted to do something to set myself apart. So I did an interrupted double. So I went back and learned this is a different dive, which is a forward somersault interrupt, 
I call it, we call it the Coca-Cola dive with the pause that refreshes because you do a quick somersault in the tuck position then kick up and open and fly and then come around and tuck and land on your feet. It was a blind entry, so you had to know what you were doing. And I, and actually, I, very few, if any other people, have done off the clip other than me. I was the first one. I know that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I worked on doing that dive, and I remember, you know, going into the final dive. So you do a dive from the lower level, which is really about 65 feet. And then you do a dive from the top level, which is 80 feet tops, depending on the tide. Uh, and as I was going down, I left the uh, staging room where, the, where we were all waiting to go do your next dive. And uh, this is what they told me later on. They say, but my buddy said, yeah, Chip should have just done the flying front. He would have probably won anyway. But, no, he's got to do this interrupted double. But I was focused. I was laser-focused. I was, uh, you know, this desire that I had because I wanted to be a champion on TV. And I went down there, and, uh, you know, I was just thinking about the possibilities, not the problems. And that's something I've learned to do, think about the focus on the possibilities, not the problems. And I went out there, took my bow, did my thing. Uh, I already knew that the tide was pretty flat, so I wasn't concerned about the wave. Sometimes you got to be concerned about the wave there. Like if it's low tide, you, you want to catch the wave. Uh, but it was mid-tide, so I was like, I just said, I'm not even concerned about the wave. When I decide to go, I'm going. And, um, and uh, you know, so I took off, boom, popped that somersault, kicked out, said, you got it, came around, smoked the entry, boom, came up. And then when I finally saw the scores, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And I'll tell you, when you look at the video, the late, there's four judge, five judges. The one judge who's a lady, uh, when she turns around, the first thing she does is look at the other scores because everybody else gave me a 10. She gave me a 9. And that lady, there's another story behind that story. Um, but she came up to me later on and said, I was, I'm sorry I didn't give you a 10. I was scared to give you a 10. I said, well, then you shouldn't have been a judge. Because I'm the one doing the dive. How the heck are you going to be scared to give a 10? And I know she felt bad, but that was a whole other little side story. But, yeah, that was exciting. And, um, you know, it was, that, was, that was definitely one of the highlights of my life as far as uh, performing and competing, diving in Acapulco. Representation matters a lot in swimming and other aquatic activities. If children don't see someone that looks like them, doing something, chances are they won't bother participating. Can you talk about what you feel has to be done in order to get more black and brown kids interested in diving? Yeah, well, you know, my philosophy is they just need to be exposed to it. That's all. It's as simple as that. Exposure is everything. You know, I'm blessed because I was exposed. I came up through the YMCA. I was in the leaders club. So I had leadership development as a young kid. And then I was, you know, I was, we, I was helping through the leaders club. We taught the gymnastic classes, the PE classes, and the swimming classes, you know, at the YMCA. And then I went to the camp and learned, you know, was exposed to everything else. You know, so as a result of me being exposed to swimming, I now windsurf, I windsurf, I kite surf, I surf, uh, snorkel, scuba dive, spearfish. I go you know, diving for lobster right here over here uh, in Vero Beach. We get some big lobster down here, too. Um, you know, and so, so I think it's exposure. You know, we just have to expose, get more kids have to be exposed to it, see other people doing it too. Right? So, you know, you, that's another thing. You're right. You know, I'm a copycat. It's okay to be a copycat as long as you're copying the right cat. And, um, and I've learned that philosophy. And, 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 and you know what? When, when, when I've seen people do something, I'm like, you know, they're no better than me. If they can do it, I can do it. And it's just really exposing kids to uh, the possibilities because uh, I have a good friend of mine, Craig Lesser, and he, he learned how to juggle. 
And uh, I was like, I showed me how to do that. And I, we, I, caught, I caught on. He learned how to ride a unicycle, same thing. He learned how to do the spotter uh, three and a half, which is a very dangerous dive. And this guy wasn't a good springboard diver, but he had guts. He learned it, and I had not learned it. He came back and showed me. I learned it immediately, and we did a tandem in the next show. So, it, you know, again, it, you know, kids do need to see an example um, and then just open their eyes. And uh, it's just like, you know, there's a whole community of, of black folks that ski, you know, um, and, and it really – and now play hockey. When I was growing up, there were no black people playing ice hockey. There weren't even people in the stand. There weren't even black people watching ice hockey. <laughs> but now, you know, you got because I, so I believe, you know, we can do anything we want to do as a people for sure. Again, but you just have to get exposed to it and take an interest in it, and you never know what you're going to take an interest in, you know. And uh, so, yeah, as an as an, as adults, uh, we just need to put this out there in front of them more and, and show the examples and. and you know, and I'm, I'm looking to help Bruce do something that like that in, in some kind of way down here in Florida. When I listen to you talk about your experience as a diver, I'm reminded of our previous guest, Dr. Kevin Dawson, who wrote the book Undercurrents of Power, Aquatic Culture in the African Diaspora. In the book, he writes about the dominance of blacks as not only swimmers from 1440 to 18, 1885, but also their gift of being great divers. Now, we have a rich aquatic history that dates back thousands of years, and yet so few of us know about it. How important do you feel it is that we know our aquatic history in order to move forward? Well, I think it's very important. You know, I think it's extremely important because, you know, if you don't document it, you'll never know it. And, um, you know, that, that's interesting. That you, I, I, That's something I want to be a part of as far as documenting some of the high diving, the history of high diving. Because, uh, like I said, you know, some of my mentors, like Rick White, has already passed away. Uh, and I'm thankful, I'm grateful that I did have some insight into getting some of his interviews because, you know, how he got started. And his, it was, it was a very diverse background up in New York, up in Brooklyn, where he was. Um, um, and, and, each, and, and all those guys looked out for each other. So, and, I've, and I've got his story on, on you know, documented. So I think it's important uh, to document it. So that people can see, you know, the development. Uh, not, you know, it's important to know where you came from, but you know, where, where it, it's important for everybody to understand that they can take this sport, the aquatic field, and really enjoy it and uh, and, and excel in it. And, there, and there's quite a, a few examples. We just need to like. There's a lot that I don't know, quite frankly. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing how it's documented, and so that we, you know, that so it's not lost, and we can all, you know, benefit from it. This past year has seen a demand from black folk for a seat at the table, that we not only talk about diversity, but also really having ownership, being able to have a say in how things progress. As one who made his living in aquatics for over 14 years, how crucial is it that we have an equal say in our aquatic destiny? Well, I think it's very important. You know, um, you know we're equal players. That's the bottom line, you, you know. You know, and, and everybody to me, you know, holds their own. So, you know, uh, and everything, everyone has something to contribute. And uh, I think that, you know, everybody should be heard. So, um, and it's not just from America. I mean, there's, there's folks all over the world uh, of ethnic backgrounds that, you know, uh, take advantage of the aquatics. And uh, their stories need to be told as well. You know, I remember when I was over in Yugoslavia, um, that some of the, uh, and this was before the Bosnian, Herzegovina War before they blew up one of these bridges that was 400 years old, and um, 
uh, had a longer history than the cliff diving in Acapulco, Mexico. But I just remember meeting some, you know, some of the local ethnic folks there, uh, and they were Yugoslavs, obviously. But, uh, you know, there's, there's interesting uh, history everywhere, and I think we should all embrace the diversity that's out there um, because to me, that's one of the beautiful things of the uh, of the of the world is the diversity. You know, how boring would it be if everybody was the same? I and mean, that would be crazy. So, you know, I, I embrace diversity and 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 all the travels that I'm able to go to, and all the things I'm able to see, and all the cultures that I'm I'm able to enjoy. And that to me is the beauty of uh, being able to travel and take advantage of this beautiful world. So, you know, it's a great place, and uh, just encourage everybody. To, you know. You know, enjoy the world, the wonderful world of aquatics. And we are going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Chip Humphrey, a former high diver and aquatic entertainer. He produced and performed in high diving shows in 22 countries all around the world, from Hong Kong to Dubai and from England to Australia. In 1980, he won the coveted Acapulco Cliff Diving Championships, as seen on ABC's Wide World of Sports. Chip Humphrey. We wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Well, thank you, Najee. It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you more. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.